You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Welcome back to Reality Check Radio. You are with Counterculture here with Maureen. Of course, it is now Media Matters time with my partner in crime, Marty Gibson. Good morning. Good morning, Marie. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I do have to apologise for listeners. Um, off and on all morning, I have got uh, builders next next door to me. So if you hear some aberrant banging, I've tried my hardest to dim down the construction noise, but I can only do so much. I do apologise to listeners for that, but you are much more exciting this morning because you had the weekend away at the NZDSOS conference. Do tell. Yes, it it was really great. And about a thousand people there, fantastic speakers. There was UK cardiologist, Dr. Asim Malhotra, just a really pleasant crowd of a thousand people at uh, Eden Park. No media uh, apart from Reality Check Radio. So it was really nice to meet some of the people face-to-face who I've been speaking with over the past few months, including Paul Brennan, I met for the first time, and Peter Williams. Yeah, it was very interesting. But at the same time, when you see information presented to you that's so compelling and really just begs a whole series of questions, I've said this again and again, I'm going to keep saying it. It's not a case of, hey, this is right. It's a case of, hey, we really need to have a discussion about this. Whether it's climate change, where, you know, Christopher Luxon saying we're fixated on zero carbon or the science is settled on Florida. If we can't have Karl Popper's falsifiability as a condition of science, and often this is talked about by people who've got no qualifications in science and you'd have to conclude no understanding of the scientific method. If we can't have a talk about, well, when is a theory falsifiable? At what point you know, do mm. we say, hey, that wasn't safe and effective? Because they knew, it seems, if you look at some of the agreements coming up that are still withheld in New Zealand, but the ones that have been released from various countries, South Africa being the latest, they described it as an aspirational treatment. It really is a jarring contrast with the government's safe and effective yeah. Uh, mantra. Yeah. So, yeah, there were, there were great speakers. Did you feel it was an uplifting event? Like, did you come away from there? There, there was a collective being together in that group, an energy of like, oh, we're not alone. Yeah, you, you always get that mm. when you've been gaslit as hard as we have. You've been characterised as being low information or uh, paranoid or angry or right-wing or any mm. number of things that uh, you're not. Yeah, and we're going to touch meet, on a bit of that in a minute too, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, you meet people the and they're also not. They're just concerned about the wisdom of injecting pregnant women with a gene therapy that's been tested maybe on 20 mice, 20 pregnant mice, because it wasn't ethical to test it on pregnant women. And yet we've got Ashley Bloomfield waving them through. And you know, then you've got people like Dr. Matt Sheldon, who was deregistered for urging caution to his pregnant patients, saying, you know, maybe hold off. It hasn't met the normal standard of testing that is required to inject this into pregnant women. It was uplifting, but it, it was jarring. It's jarring to see that politicians and, and media have really circled the wagons and had that sort of talk you see in gangster movies where the the, the leader of the gang says, if, if one of us goes down, we're all going to go down. Nobody talks, everyone walks, yeah. you know, yeah. because they're at the point now when they, they're probably knowing that there's enough information out there to justify them at least being charged with something. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is actually a theme that we've just, I think, shone in the papers this weekend and we're going to dive into that in a bit and of course I've just done an interview I covered for Breakfast with Paul on Monday and I got to interview Dr Alvin Moss from uh, West Virginia University and he's a professor of medicine there and he penned a great article around the effects of overall COVID lockdowns which warranted a second airing this morning on the show because I think a lot of my listeners may not necessarily have heard that and you're right it is that level of of gaslighting and and also still the absolute belief that they have even in this country that they did a good job with the COVID response well that's what they say I mean Guy Hatchard was another fantastic speaker there 
such a gentleman. He was saying, you know, two years ago, the facts that, that it wasn't, it was neither safe nor effective were irrefutable. One of his rallying cries around it was, we need to draw a bigger line with politicians. We've kind of been running along behind the cart saying, well, you know, this or that. But I think what he's saying is we need to confront, I guess, the the extent of, I mean, there's no other word but evil mm. that we're facing, the complete hijack of the media, the medical association, government, and to confront what it is we're up against and to be more insistent on that those things are confronted. And as I said, and maybe there's a plausible explanation for it all. I'd love nothing more than that. But when there's that, uh, 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 don't talk about that. And and that was a theme with a lot of the doctors who were speaking as well. You know, something uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Malhotra said early on, there was a pretty strong signal that something was up. And his contention was basically what happened was we were going through the slow pandemic of heart disease that came from bad diet and uh, a few other factors. statins. I know he's very big yeah. on that. Yeah. Then it was just nudged along with an effect on the heart from this, and, and that tipped a lot of people over the edge who would have gone on to develop heart disease. But he said when when he'd raised this with his colleagues, one of the things a lot of them said was, well, don't, don't say anything. For people who, who have found themselves among – others and and labeled as the freedom movement or anti-vaxxers or given whatever label you know as the jews and the gypsies know whenever the government's blaming you for everything and giving you a, a name that starts with the it pays to make travel plans the problem isn't that this has happened or that bureaucrats are driven by self-interest or politicians are driven by a quest for power it's the cowardice of so many of our countrymen yeah. and women the, the failure of moral fibre just when we needed it most. And we'd been coasting along with all of this virtue signalling on all sorts of things. And it probably led a lot of us to suppose that, you know, now we were so much more concerned about how other people are feeling, maybe we're more virtuous as a people. It turns out that that's a bit like, you know, when you give kids fluoride and they get a hard layer of enamel and they get occluded cavities. <laughs> It's not as uh, much of a guard against real challenges as we'd hope. Yeah. Hatchard, too, he put out a great report on Monday. Now, I, because you're away, I thought I'd be good and maybe dive in, expand my watching a little, and I saw that uh, there was going to be a head-to-head on the nation between Aisha Viral and Shane Retty with our both combined interest in overall general health policy, not just COVID policy. I thought, actually, I wouldn't mind watching that. Oh, I just reminded myself why I don't do these things, Martin. Wasn't far along into it. Partway through, it wasn't that long through, out comes this clangor from her. Post-COVID, over the last three years, we've had some of the lowest excess mortality in the world. So on things that matter, we are doing well. It's really tough. There's just a gulf between those two things, isn't it? The lies that have been told. This is up there when Helen Batusis Harris turning around and saying, oh, no, it stays in the injection site. It doesn't travel. Yeah. And there'd already been peer-reviewed data on the fact that, oh, yeah, she travels all right, and she goes places where you don't want it to go. Head straight for the ovaries. Yeah, I, I just was stunned. So, of course, Hatchard, I can imagine how he would have viewed that. And he then, uh, in his latest, and uh, as I said in the um, Monday piece, he went through and fact-checked her. But the thing that upsets me is that that was taken as given mm. by the host. Like, Well, was- Ashley Bloomfield said the same thing, patting himself on the back. You know, our, our response worked. We had the... We're one of the only countries in the world to have a negative excess death. I think it was Guy Hatchard analysed that and said, you know, you can come up with that, but you've got to take one of the years where deaths had already spiked after the first wave of vaccine, and then it dropped off. And so it doesn't work unless you follow a trend that comes from before a factor that 
has altered the mm. trajectory of, of deaths. And, I mean, the reality of it is is that you don't have to believe us or believe Ice Revere. All you need to do is go and have a look at our world and data and put that information in there and do comparative graphs between uh, highly vaccinated Western nations and then nations that didn't vaccinate so highly, uh, and particularly in the Western canon. So, I mean, think Bulgaria, think Hungary, and even Scandinavia for a, you know, yeah. and, and actually have a look at some of those numbers and you can see that whatever it is that places like the United States, Canada, um, New Zealand, Australia and Great Britain did, it's uh, not boding us well in terms Seems of Seems to hurt a lot of people and, mm. and certainly tanked reproduction, which was already on the ropes at about 1.6 before all of this happened and now... Yeah. And now the Japanese, actually, I, I read that the Japanese are now very, very concerned about the rapid, sharp increase in their ageing population. Their birth rate is something like 1.3, and they've had a huge campaign to get as many older, retired Japanese back into the workforce because the young ones are just simply not coming through to replenish them. Mm. So they're looking down the barrel of a crisis here. So overall, you um, uplifted, enjoyed the conference, had a great weekend away, and your cup is full of good information. <laughs> well, I've, I'm still analysing the information. I'm hoping to to scorch off because I recorded uh, a lot of it. And um, there's a huge volume, which means it, it does require a bit of time to settle out. My notes, such as they are, are mostly on what point of my recording there's a good point to be mined out. So there's a little bit of a little bit of uh, mining that I have to do. But, yeah, I mean, there was a gentleman who was with the Australian Medical Professional Society. And, and Australians, as always, have got a far better defined group of people who are going, yeah, mate, what are you talking about? You know, than Kiwis do. They've got about 600 members, whereas I think New Zealand, uh, the NZDSOS has got about 200 maybe. And a lot of people who say, look, I support what you do, but for obvious reasons, I can't. Yeah. I can't be involved because, you know, my wife's just got a black granite bench top that has uh, cost us a fortune and uh, those new car payments can't stop being made. It was a really dense series of lectures. Jodie Brunning is probably the only non-medical person there who, I guess, broke down some of the nefarious stuff happening in uh, some of the agencies that decide whether things are, are safe or not to be let loose on the public and also the manipulation of the media. It was a really good crowd of people, very, mm -hmm. very positive, and, and there, was, there was an air that, you know, if we... Um, just keep telling the truth and asking questions. We can break through some of this stuff. So you're feeling a blog coming on. So we'll look forward to that. And actually, uh, I don't know whether you've had a chance to download the new app yet, but it's so much easier on the new app. Yeah, I oh, have it's downloaded it. It's fabulous. Awesome. Honestly, it's like I know that I'm going to gush about this and I know that sounds silly, but if you're somebody like me who repels technology, anything like this that makes your life easier – uh, you will love. And I have to say, if you've not downloaded the new Reality Check Radio app, you need to because it will make your listening much easier, being able to share stuff much easier, being able to access things like Marty's blog much easier. It's just... it's yeah, One doesn't like to grumble, but that live player was a dog, wasn't it? Oh, <laughs> the previous one. Yeah, it was a shocker. The, the number of cutout and the d difficulty sometimes maintaining the thread of what people were saying when you lose a chunk here and there. It looks great. As usual, the, uh, it's an elegant thing. Mm, no, it is really quite wonderful. Something that is very inelegant, though, is definitely the theme. We talked about the theme in politics this week, and we're not going to dive too much into the weeds, but one of the things that leapt out to me across, uh, the, particularly in the weekend's paper and what I've seen uh, before and after, there is, I think, two main things. One is all of a sudden, after the pre-foo, and the realisation that Grant's eaten all the pies, and it really is, you know, as you said, it's the world's greatest turd, that they, Treasury sort of tried to put a little smattering on glitter, and Grant thought, well, they really, he, they didn't shake enough. I don't think they shook enough. Mm. So he's he was out there trying to sort of say, well, I don't know what all the fuss is about. It's not that bad, even though it was markedly worse from what he'd put out in the budget in May. Well, even though it's horrendously bad. I mean, $100 billion of debt. And, you know, 
there's that thing where he says, oh, we've done this and we've, you know, and they haven't spent a lot of time saying that. Imagine being given a hundred billion dollars. What could you do with that? A hundred thousand million dollars. Well, do you get the feeling, and this is the feeling I got, that all those PR hacks on these six-figure salaries actually um, had the whip cracked this week because everything right across all four editions that I covered and had a look at, there were stories they've obviously decided, okay, well, there's no point talking about our policy anymore because everyone can see straight through that and it's an absolute waste of time. Let's attack national tax policy, let's attack Winston, let's attack David Seymour and his supposed conspiracy theorists on his list. Let's let's just go and do that and try and create as much fuss in the other direction because certainly we can't actually talk about our A, our stellar track record, it'll be what inspirational change that we're going to bring to the nation afterwards other than, oh, oh we're going to increase the minimum wage year on year for the next, if we're elected for the next three years. It really was quite astounding. Feature pieces, opinion pieces, in-depth analysis, it was all the yeah. same. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. And the other thing uh, that you raised that I thought was it seems that you, know, you read some of the columns and you think, yeah, it doesn't really sound like you. <laughs> did, did you sort of get given this as, uh, you know, a lot of some – Journalists do get given press releases and then put their own little sort of nip and tuck on it and stick their name on it so they Herald can. Uh, on Sunday, you know what we're saying. Yeah, I think some of the regular columnists might be <laughs> being given columns to. Uh, there was certainly a shift in tone with a few of them. Yeah, and yes. data, mm. but more data. Mm. I yeah. yeah. And I'm not going to go and name names. And I was like, you didn't write this. There's no way on earth you wrote this. But that's where I think that PR machine has gone. So back to my theory around column inches. Remember I said to you way back then, what, six, eight weeks ago, if the election was going to be won on column inches, uh, Winston was going to win the day. And this was when he was still polling at about 3.5%. Yeah. He's now nudge that up depending on which polls you're looking at he's either right on the doorstep at five percent or he's walking walking through he's still getting those column inches he's still whether they be positive or negative i don't think he give a, gives a rat so i think as long as he's in the paper he's happy well he always looks happy when they put him in the paper don't get that because he does no. look kind of nasty when he scowls but they always they always find a know, nice photo of him yeah so he he's He's there and they're panicking. You can see that there's an absolute look of fear and panic that he he could be there. So they're now there is much malignment now of all the other parties outside of Labour Greens looking for these errant candidates, these yeah. candidates that could be that really have nefarious point. ideas. Yeah. And, and especially when you see them, they're going, oh, no, I uh, I have now come to my senses. I no longer think these stupid, stupid, stupid thoughts. Hamilton East MP Ryan Hamilton, you know, had some very valid concerns about, about fluoridation that really it's not good enough to brush off as you're stupid if you think that. It was very interesting also listening to an interview, I think Rodney Hyde did an interview with Matt King, who, of course, is uh, leader of Democracy NZ up in Northland. But one of the most revealing things in that interview was him saying that he was told, look, if you aren't all in with climate change, there's no place for you in the National Party. If you're going to question the mandates, there's, there's no room for you here. Mm. And, it, you know, so he left, which good on him, you know good on him for um, having the courage to match his convictions. But he said he knew of a few other national MPs who just swallowed it down and, well, you know, I'll lose my job if I don't do this, which is, of course, why a lot of people got vaccinated as well. They didn't mm. want to. The amplification of obedience, good, critical thinking, bad. I think at an absolute fever pitch now. I mean, you, you look at 
uh, Act, you know, five candidates gone, three considered aberrant thinkers in terms of having had mm. tiebacks or against that sort of main narrative idea. Yeah, that the one you mentioned, even Labour, they dug out one from 2019 because she had yeah. very clear ideas on the Gardasil vaccine. It's it's again trying to set this message all the way across that this is the prescribed set of ideas. You must adhere to said prescribed set of ideas across the entire political spectrum. And the minute you deviate from that set of ideas, you are smacked with a label often, as you said, begins with the and uh, cast aside as someone that should not be taken seriously. I really do hope from a voting perspective that I, I just have this little inkling that there is going to be a surprise for many of these mainstream parties that people and voters have, have seen through it. I was talking to, I've spoken to two friends in the last 24 hours and they're just trying to solidify where their, their vote's at. And they were bouncing up between two different parties, one of those parties being New Zealand First. And neither of these people would be people that I didn't even think that they would consider going mm. there. Both said exactly the same thing. And one of them doesn't keep up with polls and said, oh, well, look, if he's looking like he could possibly get in and he needs a little bit of a nudge to get there, I think I will vote for him. And I'm like, well, actually, that's where things are at right now. Yeah. And I think that's the place where there are a lot of voters out there, whether they be in the freedom camp or in the ACT camp or even in the national camp with some of the national policy that's come out, which is a little bit more global and climate positive thinking than I think some of them would care to admit. Yeah who are looking at Winston thinking, ooh I, ooh, I think we might need to go there. I'll be intrigued to see. Yeah, well, I mean, Kirsten Murphy's in at number 11 on uh, New Zealand First List, and I don't know the exact number of what they need to get for her to get in. I think it's maybe just under 7%. So, I mean, it's, it's a fair but carefully considered move by... New Zealand first, well, okay, maybe there's a uh, a constituency for us in that freedom movement, but we're going to put it just beyond what we would have got anyway, just doing what we do. Although, you know, to be honest, I, I think that they've gotten a, a bigger kick in the pants from those people who've got, like me, little else to, in, the, in the way of someone who I think is actually confronting the real issues that we're facing and not playing along with of some globalist song sheet. You know, it's so funny because the papers, many of the commentators and our little friend Darth Vance, she was certainly in this camp <laughs> about how boring things were. And I'm thinking, no, you're only calling it boring because ultimately it's actually far from boring. I think that it's it's not necessarily aspirational, but what you've got is this is a year that, from an MMP standpoint, democracy in the democratic process is actually going to potentially throw up some surprises. Yeah, I mean, they're shit scared. It's quite funny. On and on, this was from Darth Vance's article. On and on the bribes flow, gaslighting voters who can see that the state of the country's finances mean it will already be challenging to meet the existing rising costs of police, defence, health services, superannuation, welfare, not to mention replacing rotting pipes, roads and bridges and preparing for extreme weather as the climate warms. Voters know when they are being used, but perhaps in the end, these dreams aren't for us at all. They're a comfort blanket for the politicians, much easier than confronting the gloomy reality of a post-election victory or another sausage roll. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that Chris Hipkins can openly go around saying, well, you know, they're promising all this stuff. There's no money to do it with. It's mm. not his fault. <laughs> I thought, actually, after, after the um, conference, I went and had a cup of coffee with a mate of mine who's semi-retired and basically trades shares. He was very gloomy. Mm. said that, you know, there's all of these companies that are putting in some great results on the NZX and there's no movement. And there was an article to that extent in the Star Times. And Fonterra too. I mean, they're yeah. looking at posting, was it $1.2 billion profit? It's likely there will be a big jump after the election if National gets in. But his very gloomy take was, if you can get out of New Zealand, get out. He won't be alone in thinking that. There's, yeah, well, whether National get in or not. I mean, there's a huge mess to clean up. And, and a lot of the election 
although it shouldn't matter, has involved telling people like him, just bugger off. Mm. You, you, you know. yeah. Well, as I was saying to you, that big Labour PR machine, one of the key points that was obviously pushed with them was saying to them, right, you need to attack National's tax plan. There's holes in there, holes in the tax plan. Oh, the irony. The irony, yeah. you know, so here they are attacking the house of Nationals Tax Plan, which could be on shaky ground, but it's only on shaky ground because it's built on the foundations that you left them, the crumbling ruin that you left them after the pre-boot. So, yeah. you know, it's hard to, and they're having to rework those numbers. I mean, the press conference that Chris Luxon gave after the pre-boot with Nicola Willis, for me, actually was the first time that I've heard him actually sounding like a leader i was yeah. it, it was yeah. good it was it was solid i think i mentioned it last week nicola willis said we're, we're gonna have to rework this you know this is even worse than we were mm. expecting because they would have been working off the numbers from the budget you know which kind of made sense it was only in may yeah how badly can they cock things up in that time but you know there's there's this article in the business section of the Sunday Star Times that I was talking about you know the NZX has turned into a lackluster performance over the past fortnight even as expectations of a national win climbed steeply and it quotes Prime Minister Chris Hipkins told a business New Zealand conference earlier this month it was ironic that he was and this quotes him one of the great fiscal conservatives in the election campaign it's a post truth world isn't it Oh, God, that's a Arguing <laughs> there isn't a gaslight big enough for that one. Yeah, this wasn't the time for significant additional government spending or significant tax cuts. The old Marxist student politicians had a big party, and, you know, now there's not enough in the flat account to pay the power. It's saying to bite underpinning carbon prices is a promise the government has made to reduce New Zealand's net carbon emission to 50% of its 2005 gross emission by 2030. This is the one that Christopher Luxon says, we're totally fixated on. It's a bad idea. Mm. Although the National Party said the pledge could cripple the economy when climate change minister James Shaw, haven't heard much about his fake BA, have we? That mm. died in the paper, uh, announced it at a United Nations conference in Glasgow in 2021. National's climate spokesman, Simon Watts, has confirmed it will meet the commitment. So they're really falling into line now in this mm. heads they win, tails we lose kind of giant douche versus turd sandwich choice that New Zealanders are facing. Yeah, I know. And actually, so speaking of the Greens, one of the things I did was we talked about it last week. They seemed very, very absent from the newspaper. So I had a look across the weekend. Other mm. than uh, Marama Davidson spoke at the Year 2 union conference alongside and Chippy and Carmel were there. And of course, you you had the juxtaposition. I mean, because we we're at the fairy tale stage where we're all promising writing checks that you know that you're not going to cash. So yeah. you know, Chippy's like, "Oh, we're going to increase the minimum wage, yeah, do it every year for the next three years." No, you're not, because you're not going to be there. So let's. Yeah, you can say and, then, want. and then, of course, you've got Marama turning around and saying, "Oh, we're going to one up you five weeks," mm. you know, because and the Maori Party have... one upping everyone. I, I saw a talk old. Uh, Waititi was doing on a marae, and he was saying he wanted a 22% wealth tax. I think they were talking in their policy about eight. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, the Green Party leaders with their satellite dish faces, I haven't seen them at all, hardly, no, and I so quite like it. I have a theory about this. Oh, what's your theory? I was, I've was i been thinking about this because they are, they're gone. And I think, well, where have they gone? And I know Ian Wishart's really quite concerned about this because he's yeah. he's digging up evidence hey, and more guy evidence. falsified his convictions. As, yeah. as, um, so and I'm thinking, so are they trying to start, fly below the radar so they don't got their little base and no one sees anything? No, I think they're going all Donald Trump. I think they're going all Cambridge Analytica on this. I think that they know they're not going to score any positive points in the mainstream media. Mm. Where they're going to score it is going using algorithm and going directly to that youth voter base, and they don't read the papers. They just are not interested in that engage. And I think their entire strategy is uh, they've got a few key candidates, 
So they're hitting the grassroots. So they've got Chloe there. They're making so a Chloe big dressing up as a man. So yeah, yes, that, that was one of two pieces that I saw in the newspaper. Yeah. Exactly, Chloe getting up and dragged. Focusing on the things that matter. Yeah, they've got another candidate, Wellington Central, who's looking strong. And of course, they managed to get their Wellington mayor over the line, the Green um, Tory Fano, and she's in all sorts of trouble now because apparently the Wellington Council is up shit creek with debt. And while she's jetting around in business class here, there and everywhere, but that's another story. They're targeting a couple of good key electorate seats and they know that they've got that core 10% base that they're working off and that's, I think, what they're aiming for. They are hitting the algorithms. I think you'll find where all their news, where all their PR, where everything sits isn't actually on what we're seeing in print per se. Mm. It's in places like spin-off. It's in places like Facebook. I've seen Facebook, TikTok, um, heaps on TikTok. I think that's where they're going. And I think they're Instagram. hitting uh, student unions and all of those sorts of places. Yeah. That's my theory. Well, I guess that, you know, there, there's radio silence in the paper. Maybe they've already started to look at a possible coalition with National, if they've mm. done that U-turn that I mentioned. Yeah. Well. So you know, it's maybe it's that if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. It's like, well, you know, let's um, keep our powder dry for the yeah. post-election negotiations. Yes, indeed. Because yes, they indeed. they really, you know, if they can keep out act, they'd regard that as a win. It looks like David has peaked just a bit too soon. Yep. I do wonder, as I mentioned before, I think with him being the way that he has been with those candidates, there are a, a, a number of people that are not necessarily in the freedom camp per se, but they are in the centre-right critical thinking genre and they're seeing his behaviour thinking, yeah, no, that's not exactly cricket, Dave. You know, yeah. the whole point, if you call it, see, I have this real issue, issue around him and people calling them the Libertarian Party or he's the Libertarian candidate. <laughs> he is so far from Libertarian, it's not even funny. So if you're one of those people, stop it. Stop doing mm -hmm. it. He's not. If you look at his record and his behaviour and especially even what he's doing right now, if he were a Libertarian, he would have absolutely not a single issue with any one of those candidates that have gone. No one's got the ticket to define being a broad church. Mm. It's it's and you know that's the way corporations work. You've got to have everyone singing from the same sheet. Yeah, uh, it's a pernicious thing that's crept into the national dialogue. Is that thinking? Well, it would just be easier if we didn't have contrarian voices. They just they just make everyone scared. They just yeah, <laughs> stop it. Just stop it. Your tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist, rabbit hole exploring dwellers, yeah, grand killers. Well, you know, one of the things that I found really interesting, you know, how we've complained over the last several weeks that the, the um, pickings have been very, very slim in the Saturday Herald. Dare yeah. I say it? Journalism happened in the Herald yeah. on Saturday. Journalism. What are we talking happened. about McCall, mate. I am, and in fact, there are two lots. We're going to. We, there's two things we're going to talk about uh, in the here, but. My biggest rustle of paper this week comes from the Herald on Saturday. Yeah, a great review piece from David Fisher about McCall. Now, if you don't remember who McCall is, he was the Radio New Zealand journalist who was accused of creating Russian propaganda. And essentially, Mick was cancelled and let go by RNZ. And, and slandered. Oh. Well. And is some. So this is a, fan a fantastic, in-depth, two-page article. It's the first time he's spoken out and giving his side of the story, talking about the inquiry. And it was actually some of the other little insights in there that I found really, really interesting. And again, it all goes to speak to what we were talking about before in terms of, you know, if you start not doing it, stop it, stop it. And Mick is one of those. I mean, here you've got a journalist who's a journalist with integrity, a ton of experience, internationally, um, has worked internationally across multiple theatres and spectrums. He's worked as a sub-editor, and you mm. and I said this right from the get-go when this happened. The first thing we both, I said to you, where, where were the subbies in all of this? Because that's what subbies are meant to do, is yep. sort of run a filter across anything that could be potentially thorny. So you the don't... blanderizers. 
Yeah. Did you blanderize my story? Exactly. And he was a sub-editor, so he understands all of this. Paul, I've done some shameful things in my life, and I don't think what I did at Radio New Zealand was one of them. I tried to engage in my work with a degree of integrity. I did things in the best interest of the public as far as I was concerned. I mean, this is a guy who, he was doing his job. Well, John Pilger's comment was was great. Renowned journalist John Pilger described Radio New Zealand's criticisms of Hall's edits as compliant, frightened censorship. And that's a that's an apt description of it. Yeah. It was Pilger who highlighted an offer of work made publicly to Hall by Consortium News, a US-based online news outlet set up to counter the, and he quotes here, quotes him here, silliness and propaganda that had come to pervade American journalism. And I'd venture to suggest New Zealand journalism to an even worse effect. This is the kudos that I am going to give the New Zealand Herald, is the fact that they have actually printed this. Because later on, Gavin Ellis, who is um, a former New Zealand Herald editor, he was uh, quite scathing. I think he's actually a little disturbed about this. And he went on to say, any newsroom is predicted on the ability to refer upwards Nowhere in mainstream daily journalism are you a lone actor. You're part of a team that puts together the day's news. Now, I agree with that, but also at the same token, it depends on the integrity of the team, does it not? Mm. The team is made up with a group of individuals and you're actually able to have an opinion, whereas this is sort of saying, well, if you're part of the team, you're not allowed to, you know, this is the party line, you can't deviate from the party line. And I'm thinking, well, you didn't really. Drew from a variety of sources and meanwhile, national radio slipped from number one to number five, even with a twenty-seven million dollar cash injection from Willie from the from the taxpayer or from bankers who print money. What it highlights to me that there are certain positions out there, and the war in Ukraine is one of them. That there are hard fixed lines, and you are not allowed to question. The line that line that has been placed. The COVID response is another one. The climate is another one, and mm. you either tow that line, or you do not. Yeah, and mass I, medication with fluoride, which I'm, you know, I'm I'm somewhat agnostic about because I don't know enough about it. Although I did write some stories about it when I was a journalist myself, and I found the people who were urging caution about it compelling. But again, unless we have the open debate, we're not going to arrive at the best. Conclusions. You're exactly right. An open debate, but there are topics that are deemed verboten for debate. COVID, climate, war in Ukraine, anything with Trump and the corruption in the Biden family. You know, there are things that it's like, no, this is it. You're not allowed to mention Mm. any of those things. And if you do, you sit on one side of the fence and that allows for mud to be slung at you, dehumanisation and... We'll go back to Darth Vance's horror that the introduction of of some of these candidates via New Zealand First, the possibility they might get into Parliament, could take the public debate off its tracks. (laughs) The fact that she acknowledges, even probably unwittingly, that it is on tracks, that you're not allowed to go off. Yeah, but also too, the fact that she also thinks that there's a debate. Oh, wouldn't debate be a fine thing? Wouldn't it now? Wouldn't it? What has happened to McCall is absolutely directly analogous to what has happened to a number of medical professionals across this country in regard to the COVID situation. It's this blanket cancelling, professional cancelling, and humiliation that they try to place if you... Do not tow that line. As the Chinese say, kill the chickens to train the monkeys. And so the people who step out of line first get made an example of. So everyone else looks at them and thinks, ooh, I don't want that to happen to me. Mm, Exactly, exactly. Right, finally, I do want to talk about Bruce Cottrell because I. so what I deliberately did, everybody, is I go through, I read everything else that I had and I say Bruce to last because then Bruce is the balm to actually soothe my soul and try and bring my blood pressure back down to a safe level after we've consumed everything else. This is the sacrifice that I do for you guys, okay? 
I am, as I put my blood pressure on the line for you. Bruce Cottrell, as always, never fails to disappoint. Trust and respect missing from the campaign agenda. I know we're diving back to politics, but he had his picker up this week, very much so. Perhaps if politicians lifted their own standards, the rest of us might follow. I agree, Bruce. Uh, as 10 founders Cecilia Robinson said in an excellent article, we need highly capable people of good character to step forward and take on these roles as our country's leaders. If we can't treat them with respect, we won't attract the quality candidates. And while I'm on the topic, I don't care how many houses a politician has or what type of food they like. I care about their capability, their policies and their capacity for work. We need capable people with good policy who can get on with the very large job ahead. Amen, Bruce Cottrell. I mean, I tend to go upstream from this sort of thing. He's saying, oh, we need more people of, of capability and principle to be elected. But what he's maybe not fully internalizing is there's a process to keep such people out in favor of people who will just keep their eyes on the prize and mouth the various platitudes that the party gives them. Christopher Luxon. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's worse than people like that aren't standing. People like that are being excluded. And if they deviate from the party line, they're being ejected. So the problem's a little bit greater than that, I would I would think. And there's almost a sense that we're racing to a point of no return because they must, I mean, they'll know they'll be found out, but they don't seem to care. And that that gives me an uneasy feeling. No, they really don't care. They really don't care. He goes on to say there are some other heavyweight issues that don't seem to be getting any airtime. One thing we should be concerned about is the amount of legislation passed under urgency by a majority government in the past three years. Passing a bill under urgency means that the traditional process of a bill becoming law is fast-tracked instead of the bill being presented for a number of readings, with consultation and select committee considering it between readings, and multiple stages are mashed together. Consultation is minimalised and the readings can happen almost simultaneously. Someone once said, with great power comes great responsibility. If one is given a lot of power, it is important to be measured and constructive in applying the power to the decisions that you make. This government, the first majority government under MMP, has failed that test. Plenty of experienced people will tell you that legislation passed under urgency often turns out to be bad legislation. And yet again, this government has passed so much new legislation under urgency, including such urgent matters as enabling of the divisive three waters policy and the replacement for the Resource Management Act, these policies have such major ramifications and ramming them through under urgency is the opposite of good and considered management. Yeah, well, that's true. I think, I mean, I've, I will confess sometimes, Marie, I feel despair. I do just think, man, you know, if those facts are available and people are at the point where they'd just rather not look at them, we're, we're riding this all the way down. So. By all means, you know, I still read the paper and I still follow what these guys are saying. But particularly, as I said, after I've watched River of Freedom and I'll inject into, into the sentence, if you haven't seen it, grab five of your friends who were moaning about your Facebook posts, take them along. Yeah, the, the fact that we're this far down, we're this close to the ground and there's still that many people who don't see that we've just got to pull up. It's time to... Get some like-minded people together and and make sure that you're in a position where you can cope with brownouts and maybe the water out of the tap not being fit to drink and, and so on. As gloomy as that sounds. We've got a pandemic of metaphorical elephants running through the room where they're seeing, as you said, they've rid the elevator all the way down. They're seeing what's there, but they're not actually seeing that it was not an elevator that they rode down. They probably slid down the tube of a hypodermic needle. But dare I say it, they, they're still not prepared to take a look at all the elements that created the issues that they have. I mean, there was another article in the post you wouldn't have seen around the slump in tertiary numbers. And they were citing all these other reasons at why, you know, students are not going to university. And it's just like, well, potentially the reason these students aren't going to university is that they're, they're sick of all the ideological rubbish that's 
there now, the expense that is there, they're not actually getting value for money when they come out the other side. And when you've got actually a stressed job market, which now has is looking for people and you can actually go out into the marketplace, earn and train on the job as opposed to going into an, an indoctrination camp, which many of these universities and tertiary education facilities have become. Mm. So they're, they're checking out of the system. Yeah, It's not rocket science. Mm. Yeah, I mean, other things as well, like, and this is what worries me about Lux, and he's all on board with the World Health Organization and giving them sovereignty over New Zealand, and something like 70% of their funding come from vested interests. In Australia, the, one of the figures quoted in the, at the conference was that 96% of the f- funding of the Therapeutic Goods Administration, or the TGA, whether the A stands for administration, comes from Big Pharma. It's huge. Mm. 65% of the FDA's funding. Not everything they do is bad, but if we don't have a process where we can openly discuss, well, what effect is that having on the advice we're being given, particularly as the current government moves to sign us up to something that effectively has the capability of suspending national sovereignty? You know, if, if we're on rails and we're being controlled much the same way as... A lot of policy seems to come out of the World Economic Forum. You know, not all of it's bad. Some of it might be great. But the fact we're not having any discussion at all about it, even allowed to acknowledge that it's happening, uh, that's the first step. Whatever the facts are that that we might discuss, the fact that we can't discuss it is, uh, is a bit of a white-knuckle ride. And it also, too, all goes to fueling that lack of trust that is now really beginning to manifest itself. Cottrell even said the word trust keeps coming up in this campaign. I suggest that these are not the actions of people who are acting in the best interests of the country. Rather, this behaviour speaks to the standards that members of this parliament have set for themselves. And the standards need to be higher. Pursuing narrow, controversial policies has taken priority over what most of us would consider the basics. As a result, we've seen careless attitudes towards government borrowing and spending on pet projects, while politicians seem uninterested in the real issues affecting people, such as crime, roading, health and education. In this election campaign, our Prime Minister tells us that COVID vaccines were not compulsory, or he says that he will toughen up on gangs or enhance financial education in schools, but nothing he and his colleagues say is believable because they're not in it for us. They're in it for themselves and the agendas they want to pursue probably under urgency. Well, and then, yeah, as I said, downstream from that, the fact that the media haven't really taken them to task about their non-performance. They can unironically, you know, quote Chris Hipkins as saying he's financially conservative and it just just floats on by. Um, Well, the good news is I I think you and I will still continue to be here to try and keep them honest on this stuff. Well, I'm having Um, a bit of an off week. (laughs) I seem to be uh, a little bit gloomier than usual and it's partly... I guess, confronting some of the numbers that I've been exposed to and, uh, you know, my friend just uh, saying, ah, mate, you know, eject, eject. In the end, I, I, you know, my comfort blanket, Marie, is that Confucian saying, if you look into your own heart and find nothing wrong there, what is there to worry about? What is there to fear? That's my, my one comfort. There's a lot of things going right in my own life, I guess, in my own family, and I just have to keep plugging along at that and get together with like-minded people and make sure that, you know, I'm somewhat prepared to meet some of the things that I think could happen if we keep going on this path and just keep speaking out and as honestly and clearly as I can about what I see going on. Yeah. Did you know, I mean, we've just had our six-month birthday. Did you oh, know really? that? Yes, yesterday. Wow. Stop it. I know, six months. Six months of speaking truth and, and even just having conversations that you're not hearing anywhere else here on Reality Check Radio. So thank you to everybody that's tuned in, all the feedback you and I are getting. Actually, oh, actually, let's do some quick feedback because we are getting feedback. I feel better. That'll that'll perk you up. Should I perk you up with some feedback, eh? (laughs) Bit of feedback I got at the conference was, it's just, you know, it's just really enjoyable to listen to. It's, you know, just two people talking shit, but, but, you know, like having done a bit of research. 
<laughs> well, it is pretty much you and I. Pretty good summary. Mind you, people kind of knew the, the amount of time that we do actually spend. And I think to myself, did I really need to read all of that? But then you do because we never know where a conversation is going to take us and, and that's why we do it. You know? Well, I've been caught somewhat napping this week. I didn't have the usual the usual day to read all the papers. No, you're, you're through a... it. I noticed them. See, the old concern about Maori seems to be back in the foreground. Uh, sort of who gets well, I, hurt. I think there Maori are certain Maori um, elite that are a little bit worried that the uh, spigot's going to get turned off. That's definitely yeah. the impression that I got with that. Yeah. Uh, so this was from Mike. Hi, guys. I really started to appreciate your show now. I've been stuck in with the cam mindset of how to vote and not letting real stuff in. But after my trip to America, I'm starting to sort things out in my head and listen more to, balance, to more balanced views. I'm not saying that cam is unbalanced. Or is he? Lol. <laughs> um, no, he's not actually, but he's uh, oh, funny. Anyhow, listening to your Media Matters show and loving it. One thing Marty said about the motorsport rang true for me. A young girl you spoke about who won her fourth championship. So proud that these young Kiwis get up and keep going. Well done, young lady. Again, thank you for your balanced thinking and reporting. By the way, Marie, I'm going to send you a pic of my knee blanket my wife knitted for me just months before. Oh, just months before she died. And in the last few weeks, she was blind, so still managed to put it together. I find that sort of spirit amazing and i know she would have stood with me in the fight against marxism and corrupt governments cheers mike thank you oh, mike um sorry to oh, hear that, i'll mike. look forward to seeing the picture of that blankie uh, and actually uh further to mike talking about the, the young lass uh marie courtney duncan that was the name of the motorsport girl she hailed from the tiny town of waikawiti 40 minutes north of dunedin love your guys show aotearoa farm and you and Marty just give me great joy thanks guys that's from joy waikawiti is actually a lovely place way down south they used to make very good cheese down there <laughs> they did anyway the things i remember Oh, here we go. I love this one. Oh, oh my FG, spat coffee, so many turds, so little glitter. Cheers, D. You made my day, Marie and Marty. Mm. New Zealand First is now my uh, is now also my first time. And he's the only politician that never gets flustered and has direct and clear answers. That's in regards to what we were talking about with uh, his speech. Uh, hi, Marie. Thank you so much for the critical thinkers of uh, Reality Check Radio. And I really appreciate your voices of reason and veritas. So there you go. Some really nice positive feedback. Oh, it's, I'm pleased that we're we're not alone. As always, uh, I do appreciate you coming to join me again this morning. And if you've got any comments whatsoever and you want to cheer Marty up and tell him how much he <laughs> means to you because he's feeling a bit glum today, inbox at realitycheck.radio or you can text us on 2057. And you and I will do it all again next week. Can't wait. Thanks, Marie. Have a great week. Don't disappear here on Counterculture. Woke News of the Week is up next. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Yeah. 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 Yeah.